created for the MAPE community by the MAPE community. Left Unsaid is a podcast where we speak our truth, celebrate our talents, tell our stories, and explore what matters most to us. It's time to leave everything on the table and make sure nothing is left unsaid. Welcome to another episode of Left Unsaid. I'm your host, Carl Desir, and as usual, I'm so excited for our guests. I love talking to Maple alum, love hearing what they're doing, what they're saying, so I'm really excited for our conversation today. I'm going to let Tony, I'm going to let you introduce yourself so we get right in, because I am I think this is a very, very relevant, pertinent, important conversation. So, Tony, who are you? Tell the people, please. Yeah, so hi, I'm super excited to be here as well. My name is Tony Pringley. I am currently uh, the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Manager at uh, Real Chemistry, which is a health innovation company. Um, and then prior to that, I'm a two-time MAPE alum. So um, I am a class of 2018 and then also 2019 as well. All right, all right. Back back when I was running MAPE, because I, I do martial arts, we call them second-degree MAPERs. We do it yeah. twice. And we never, I just, we have one, I think, this year, one third time, so third-degree MAPER. Call it, but oh, wow. I, I'm so glad you love MAPE so much you came back to do it again. Uh, we are going to get into that, your journey, your MAPE experience. But first, you know, we got to do red, yellow, green check-in. That check-in here is really just to see how you're coming into today's conversation. It's not meant to change how you're feeling. Just really so that we understand where you're at in the moment. Red, you're distracted. You're here, but you're distracted. You got so much going on. You know, it's kind of all just up there jumbling up your mind. Green, 100% here, focused, ready to go, yellow swim between. It's a representation of where you are. Add some shapes, add different colors, mix and match, do whatever, how you're feeling. Tony, how are you coming in today? I would say I'm probably a mixture of red and green. Mm. Um, red just because I do have a lot of things going on just within like work and also like my personal life as well. Uh, but green because I've been trying to be more intentional about being in the moment and just like being grateful uh, for different experience that I have. Uh, so I would say I'm a mixture of red and green today. I love it. I love it. We often think we can only be one thing at a time, but there are always mm-hmm. we can live in both places at the same time. Thank you for sharing that and coming in as your full self. You said you were a two-time neighbor. Tony, I'd love to hear like from the beginning how you heard about MAPE the experience applying, getting in, coming back, and why you came back a second time. I know. I mean, I can understand. It's a great program. Yeah. But I would love to hear you from your perspective. Yeah. So I actually found out about the MAPE program um, at the Publicis Multicultural Talent Pipeline. So um, I, was, I was in college at the time. And I was invited to go to like this two-day um, you know, workshop. And there I actually met one of my really good friends, James Ramsier, and he explained to me what MAPE was. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have to apply next year. So I was actually too <laughs> young to apply that year. You know, you should always and, try, um, always give it a shot. Because there's exactly. sometimes people sneak in as sophomores. I'm just saying, the secret's out. Yeah, no, totally. Um, but I was like, okay, I guess I'll apply next year. And then I applied. And first of all, I loved actually doing the application. Um, my favorite part was the video. Um, if you can't tell, I love talking a lot and I love being on video. So it was like right up my alley. Um, I did the video, um, got into the second round interviews, and then I got my offer. So it was like draft day. 
and I was chosen as a strategy um, intern at uh, Spark Foundry. And that was a really fun, you know, summer. I got to work with like beauty brands, which was really fun. But ultimately, I just felt like media strategy was just not my thing, right? Um, I really wanted to be working somewhere where, or working in a business where I was interacting with different um, levels of employees, like different people and different um, sectors of employees as well. And I felt like DE&I was something that lets you do that because you're always touching each person that you're working with inside and also outside of your company. So lucky me, the year that I was like, I want to do DNI was the year that MAPE actually brought out their DEI intern possibility for, for the interns. So I applied and then I got chosen as a um, DNI intern at Digitas. So that was super, super fun. Um, I had an amazing uh, boss, uh, Carla Talley, who really, really took me under her wing and really taught me everything um, DEI. Uh, so that's just a little bit about my MAPE experience, and I always, always, always advocate MAPE to everyone. I really believe that the two years that I did MAPE were like the best summers of my life. I was in Chicago both years, and I've made so many lifelong friends, like the best memories ever. It was really like a coming-of-age film of all of us getting our first job and getting our first like <laughs> real paychecks, and we're all just like exploring the city together. It was such an incredible experience. I hear a um, made-for-TV movie based on a true story about the MAPE experience. Yes. Anybody out there can make that happen, let us know. <laughs> I, I think I love, there's so many parts that I'm just like smiling about that experience because one, the video, I remember when we introduced the video, back in, mm -hmm. I can't even remember, I think 2012. And it was a huge point of contention. Cause it was like, oh wait, what do I have to do this video? And the videos were amazing. A lot of the videos, mm -hmm. they showed so much of the creativity. So I'm so glad that you enjoyed that part because that was, it was very controversial at the time. I also love how you like, were able to explore different parts of the advertising world through MAPE and mm -hmm. figure out kind of where you wanted to go and have the opportunity to come back and do it again and give, you know, get experience within that and go from, was it media planning, right? Uh, media strategy. Media strategy into DEI all through like your MAPE experiences is is so great. Um, and that's what, that's what MAPE's here for. So I'm glad, exactly. I, glad you're able to take advantage of all that. You said you were in Chicago both times. I love that Chicago. Mm -hmm. Chicago crew is yep, always Chicago. always a good crew. So now you're you're working DEI manager at an agency, mm -hmm. um, and you came in entry level, right? And now, as you know, in the past eighteen to twenty four months, the diversity, equity, inclusion roles have been in high demand, right? And mostly at the top. So I'm curious, really, about your experience coming in as you know an entry level. DEI practitioner, like, what was that like? What kind of hurdles did you have? Um, and we'll get into advice later, but just what was that experience like? Yeah, so actually when I was ending my uh, DNI internship and I was telling people like, okay, I'm looking for an entry level DNI job. Mm -hmm. They're like, um, that does not exist, good luck. <laughs> and I was like, no, you know, they're like, you should go get a media, you know, mm -hmm. media strategy job, just do DNI on the side, you know, maybe join a BRG build up your resume, maybe like five years from now, you can like take a DNI job. 
And I was like, no, like I'm going to get a DNI job because that's what, you know, I want to do. Like I would rather wait um, to get the job for me, which is a DNI job rather than take a job that I'm not as like passionate about. So um, I actually remember I went to a career fair and I gave my resume to uh, the Omnicom Media Group Fair. And I want to preface that this was the Mate Face of Talent career fair. So another right. reason why I owe yep. Mate everything with my career. Um, so I gave the table my resume and I'm walking around and, you know, I'm chatting it up, chatting with different booths. And my former boss, uh, Justin Reyes, he came up to me with my resume and he's like, hey, we're looking for um, a DNI assistant. Do you want to interview? And I was like, what? I mean, like, just the, the craziest thing. So yeah. I was timing. like, I want to interview. Yes. Yeah, I it mean, was, it's it timing so is who insane. you know. It's, you know, exactly. maintain those relationships, all the things they exactly. talk about. Yes. I mean, timing is everything. And it just goes back into like, what's for you will always be for you. And I actually had interviewed at previous like companies before I went to the career fair. And I was just like, this is not for me. Like, I'm just going to stick it out. I'm going to wait until I feel like the role is for me. And I ended up interviewing with Justin and he really took a shot on me. I mean, really, you know, I was coming from Indiana and I moved to New York City to this, you know, large holding company doing DNI, just me and him for a couple months. And I really have to thank not only Mabe, but also like Justin for really taking a shot on me you know just a girl from indiana who had a dni internship who showed passion and he really leaned into that and i really thank him for everything and justin's actually now um, at major league baseball doing dni so he's like killing it yeah forever thankful for the career fair and justin as well yeah i mean what a what a story that just hits on so many points it's like you know i can't tell you how many times when I was running made by her, people be like, oh, do we have to go to the career fair? Oh, do we have to do all these oh. things? It's like, mm-hmm. you know, this is why you're here. Go to these things because you mm-hmm. never know what could happen. And, you know, folks like Justin who, you know, I don't like to say take a chance or take a risk or that, right? Mm-hmm. They see something in folks. Mm, yeah. And then they say, you know what? We're going to develop this. We're going to bring it out more out of them, right? So he saw something in you that said, you know, beyond like the resume, it was like, you know what? Tony's got what I need. Let's do this. When people mm-hmm. do that and they lean in, right? I'm talking to all y'all more senior folks out there. You lean in, give a little more effort than you think you, you can or you should. You can change someone's life. You can really, you know, make an impact. So, uh, you know, shout out to, to Justin and all the folks like that who see that spark in people and help bring it out. Um, and create passionate, you know, dedicated folks like yourself to come in and help help change this. Yeah, and I hope as I kind of get, and I was saying like as, as I get further in my career, I hope that I can continue to give other people chances as well, you know, and to see the light within certain individuals and, you know, really give them the chance to really uh, rise up. Well, you know what? I know that you will do that, right? Because when it when it happens to you, it's just something that mm-hmm. I mean, it happened to me, right? With 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 my old boss, Singleton Beato, and it's just like it ingrained something in you. It's like this is how this is how we move things forward, right? Exactly. So, I just had a question. And I just forgot it. 
Oh, man. I was just so excited about that part of the conversation. I had this question. Um, so, you know, you talk about, so let's, so let's actually, I remember the question now. So much has been focused on kind of like a head, right? A chief, somebody to exactly. run the diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts for a company. And I've had more conversations than I can count with companies about while ahead of someone to be accountable and responsible for this is so important without a team what are we really doing mm -hmm. so you you know with your experience with with justin and then also you know how you are now like can you talk a little bit about like the importance of kind of um dei practitioners at all levels at a company mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think we're seeing kind of the evolution within the DEI roles, um, and that our chief diversity officers, our VPs, our head of DEI, are getting the respect that they need. I think at first we were a lot of companies were expecting just bring one person in to fix it all, but yeah. let's really look at all the other C-suite people, right? The CFOs, the CMOs. It's not just a CFO running an entire company's finances; like they yeah. have a team behind them. Just you know, that, the marketing. that is such an yeah. important point because mm -hmm. th that's like the CFO is the example I use a lot with people because I'm like, you know, because everyone's like, you know, D&I is everyone's responsibility. So why do we need just one person? Why do you need a team? And I, I was going to say like, well, companies, you know, finances are everyone's responsibility, right? We're all yeah. supposed to bring in money, but we still have a CFO with a team, with uh, people. So if it's that important, why are we marginalizing and minimizing you know, the diversity, equity, inclusion efforts by saying one person can do it, you know, or exactly. no, we don't even need a person, right? So yeah, yeah no, I know, I love that point. Off, let's just, yeah, it's like, let's just push it off to HR and they yeah. can be kind of like their side hustle. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah, and I think what happens a lot with our C-suite or heads of DE&I is that they experience a lot of burnout if they do not have that team backing them. And I think with every team that you have within an organization or a company, you need everyone at each level doing different things, right? Just because someone is entry level DNI, it doesn't mean that they are less important to the team. They're just bringing, they're just doing their own role or are mid managers in DEI as well. So I would say, like like I've said, the evolution of DEI, it's it's really gearing away towards just ahead, but really building out that entire DEI team, really showing and not just saying DEI is something that we're passionate about, but we are passionate about this and we are advocating this. And look, we've hired a team and we're backing them with not only our words, but also our finances as well. Words, finances. I mean, we're gonna need more than words. We're gonna need more than finances. We need personal action too from exactly. everybody. And that's what that's what you're talking about, right? Because in the end, if this person doesn't have, if this position doesn't have a team, they can mm -hmm. only do so much. They're expected to change an entire organization with one or two people. Come on, yeah, who it's, really? Kidding? Yeah, it's a, it's a bit much. It's it, it's a bit much, um, and you're really trying to change people's thought processes, their biases, and that takes a long time to do. And I think a lot of times people hire these, you know. DNI people and they expect them to change the entire organization in six months or even a year. I mean, a lot of these things take years to do because again, we're trying to change 
humans, you know, and teach them to be this way, to be more inclusive. And that takes a, that takes a while. So being able to have the patience with the team that you hire to be able to do their job. I mean, you are speaking the truth here, right? It's exactly. so many people expect someone to come in and change it overnight, right? When, you know, I don't know, there's nothing in a company that changes overnight, especially when you're talking about Mm-hmm. deep-seated, deep-rooted biases, mindsets, behaviors that go well beyond the, you know, four walls of a company and are influenced by, you know, not just the current society, but past past examples and instances in uh, in society. So mm-hmm. it is a tough, it is a tough, like this work is tough, right? This work is hard, it's tough, it's challenging. I hope everyone who does this work has support they need outside because it is one of the most challenging roles, I think, in any company. So now that we've just gave it a, a glowing review of why folks should get into this work, what, what, you know, coming in as entry level, like what, I think I'm going to ask, you know, two questions at one time, which is, not the best way to interview, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm thinking about, like, you know, now that you're in this role, I'm thinking about advice for folks who are trying to get into, the, you know, an entry-level DEI job. Because mm-hmm. you're right, they're not, you know, they're, they're becoming more available, but yep. they're still not. It's not like, you know, an entry-level account job, right? Which are always there. What would you give them trying to find a job? And also to somebody who is that hiring manager, that head of DEI at a company, um, to help create an environment for, you know, these, uh, the entry level folks to come in and really have an impact. Yeah. So I would say if you're really looking for, you know, starting your career out in DNI, it really depends. Like, are you coming in straight out of college or university? Or are you trying to make a pivot? I think if you're coming straight out of college or university and you're still there and you still have time, you know, really think about how you can get involved in DEI strategies within your college or university. So for example, for me, I was the president of the National Association of Black Journalists within my campus. So really being able to speak towards that um, and being able to kind of be like, this is how I've really advocated for DEI within my campus as well. Um, you know, maybe joining different alliances. I know at certain universities, there's like the Black Alliance, the, you know, AAPI Alliance, the Latinx Alliance. Um, maybe, you know, joining those and being like an advocate within your campus. Um, and then if you're looking to pivot, the one thing that I really love about DNI is every type of company needs it, right? Our marketing companies need it. Our entertainment companies need it. Our, you know, consulting companies, financial companies, everyone needs it. So being able to lean into the, you know, things that you've done in your everyday work, if you're making, wanting to pivot from a financial role, how can you bring a financial expertise into the DEI team? Every team needs a budget. We all have to build it out. We all have to maintain it. How can you bring that into um, into your role in DEI? And then again, being able to lean into different DEI initiatives within your company. A lot of companies have business resource groups. Maybe becoming like a co-chair, a committee chair on there. Um, if you don't have a business resource group, create one. You know, really see if that's something that you can create. So just really being able to um, bring DEI throughout your everyday work. And I think to the hiring managers that want to build up um, an environment for an entry-level person, I would say really giving them responsibility. I know, again, going back um, to Justin, when I did start my job is 
I wasn't just, you know, creating meetings or taking notes. He really let me get some responsibility and create programs and, you know, maybe talk to a university or two. You know, he really gave me the stepping stones to be able to be a manager um, just two years into my career because I was doing non-entry level work within that first role. So just giving your entry level ways responsibility. I love that. When you were talking about the pivoting, like, you know, I'm one of those folks that pivoted from strategy into DE&I work mm -hmm. years into my career. And, you know, it, it often, I often think about this idea of like how and if people want to turn their passion for it into a practitioner. Mm -hmm. So go from being passionate to being a practitioner about it is a key step you need to understand if you want to make, because it is very different, you know, doing DEI as the side thing because you're passionate about it versus doing it as your day-to-day -day, mm -hmm. nine to five, get that paycheck. That's something that folks have to really think about and understand if they want to do in that, in that space, because it's tempting sometimes. But it's a very different thing when you're exactly. when you are doing it, you know, for your job than you're doing it, you know, and you're just passionate about it. Nothing wrong with either. Please everyone, we all need to do it either way. And I love mm -hmm. I love that also this whole like giving the folks on your team that space, right? There's no one way to do this work, right? And the more we open open that that up to those different ways of different ideas to letting folks handle it. Listen, I was running global diversity and inclusion for an agency at one point and we can't do it all. Right. And the ideas of how mm -hmm. something that might change, especially when you think about internationally as well, if you're at a global company, you know, you need mm -hmm. those voices. Like we need, we need them in the business side. We need them in the DE and I side. We need them everywhere. So Justin, again, you know, shout out to Justin, giving you that chance to just do and be and bring, right? There's there's so much that you can, right? So like, again, talking about the pivoting, right? You can go to school, you can get certificates in the DE&I space. There are things that can be taught and there's things that can't mm -hmm. be taught, right? The intangibles that are in within each one of us that cannot be taught. Like that's the thing that Justin saw in you. I was like, you know what, Tony, you're coming with me. I'm gonna let you go, I'm gonna let you run with this. And this, because that's kind of stuff you can't teach a lot of that stuff. You can teach lingo. Yeah. You can teach, you know, kind of how things were done in the past, but you can't teach that kind of innate, just like I'm creative. I got a different way of thinking about it. I'm seeing it from a different view. So I, I, I love all that. And that's part of that passion to practitioner, right? If you were passionate about it, you could bring a lot of that without, you know, um, actually being a practitioner. And once you're a practitioner, then you're, you know, accountable and responsible for that, which brings a certain, which brings a different level to it so i think it's exactly it's all you know people just gotta decide again we're giving a glowing review for dei jobs which are amazing and challenging and you mm -hmm. know oftentimes hard and that's why it's very important to think about if you're going to make that pivot if you want to do it why are you doing it what does it mean to you like any like any job i definitely agree with that yeah and i, I love how you say like there is a difference between like passion and of being a practitioner because a lot of the de and i it's just being on the mm -hmm. being boots on the ground and you have to be like really in it you know you can get your diversity and inclusion you know certificate from different universities but when it really comes down to it you have to be in it and see like the day-to-day -day work to really understand um the different strategies and things like that i think this is where that whole like 
it takes a long like this is where it becomes passion and practitioner like there's a huge mm-hmm. gap between the two when you think about once you're a practitioner you start to really understand how difficult this work is to really make that change and how long and then you have people you know who aren't practitioners who are like why isn't this done yet we should be we should get our numbers up we should have the change right now and it goes beyond just like oh i have to sign red tape but this work takes a long time and that's one of the hard parts about being a practitioner in this right mm-hmm. yeah and i think and i think with as a, like a head of de and i right um i feel like you probably will have to be able to manage up a lot um and be able to set expectations and realistic expectations because you may have you know your ceo or whoever saying we want to be you know this diverse by this day and it's like actually that might take a little bit longer and it's going to take a little bit just more strategy to do that if we want to do it in the right way and kind of talking about building a more diverse environment you can hire as many bipoc people as many like women in your company lgbtqia um people into your company but if you do not build the inclusive environment for them, they're not going to stay. And that's why you see a lot of times in companies, they are recruiting the diverse talent, but they are not retaining them. And that's where there seems to be kind of a disconnect is building that inclusive environment that le- lets our diverse employees um, thrive and want to stay. Yeah, and I think you bring up a really great point about the, the duality of that, like hiring and also staying attractive to these communities, mm-hmm. right? I don't like, I don't use the word retain personally because like you can't retain anybody. They're gonna leave if they're gonna yeah, leave, yeah, right? True. The only thing you can do is stay as welcoming, as open, as attractive to that, you know, that person, that, that communities as possible. Because I think to that point, what happens, especially for DE&I roles, is that they become the person that is, one, right, you're managing up expectations and leadership, also you're managing out to the company. Right, mm-hmm. because if the company doesn't understand this, then you're gonna have communities come out and be like, "Wait, you're here. You've been here for six months. You haven't changed anything, so you're not doing your job." Yeah. Right, and so it's managing out about actually what these roles are and what they're meant to do and why they're here. Because everyone has what I've found, and hopefully this is you know just changing as DEI roles become more and more prevalent. They're gonna be different in different companies because companies have different needs because they're each at their different point and they're diversity equity inclusion journey and if you're not clear right and i think this is to 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 the dei leaders and also anyone on a team what your team what your role is doing people start to create their own perception of what you should be doing and a lot of times it's very personal so i had an instance that you need to fix as the head or someone on the dei team right and that's where this job right the difference between a passion and a practitioner someone who's passionate about it and a practitioner comes into play because now you then are, have this, you know, perceived responsibility for the well-being of every single person and not just person of color, right? Because most of the leaders are white and you have to be you're now responsible for their change as well there. And that's what's hard. Exactly. Yeah. And it can be a lot of pressure and you know, that's why there's a lot of burnout within the um, DE&I roles, especially those that are C-suite or heads of DE&I. Yeah, I think all, I think, you know, if you think about the last 18 to 24 months, there's been a lot of, let's call it pressure, a lot of work for these roles. And after 20, going through 2020, I mean, if you met a 
single DNI practitioner that wasn't tired, you know, because it's not just, you know, the, you know, racial uprising, racial reckoning, the continuous violence against, you know, black and you know, other uh, marginalized communities. But we, are, we don't actually look at how the pandemic is connected to certain communities. And that added, you know, pressure. We're not looking at climate change and how it, you know, disproportionately affects certain communities. All of that ties in to the diversity, equity, inclusion space. So it's been, it's been a very hard two, let's just say two years for these roles. And with most people only having one person and most people pivoting in to new roles and trying to learn on the job, you know, they, they say like trying to build a plane while it's flying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then you're also like going through a global pandemic, you're working from home, you're navigating like an entire new lifestyle. I mean, really like life just one day was just different. And then to go through, you know, pretty much a new like racial, like, you know, uprising in 2020, it was just a lot to really take in at one time. And then to also have that pressure coming through from your workplace saying, fix this, fix, you know, hundreds of years of systemic racism. I mean, it's like, whoa, like, let's lower expectations here. You know, we can only do so much. So, um, yeah, just a lot going on at one time. Yeah. And you, you said it like, because then if you just look at the professional stuff. Then you realize, wait, everything I'm dealing and helping people work through, I'm also dealing with myself. And I think oftentimes... Mm -hmm especially last year, there were many DEI leaders of all different races and ethnicities, but like mostly black DNI leaders who were called upon at a time when they themselves were hurting and suffering to try to put that aside and take care of everybody else. And that, that's a lot. Um, that's a lot. And again, we're giving a glowing, glowing review of these roles. <laughs> But I think, like, I can hear, like, I'm obviously in a role like this, you're in a role like this, and the only, we're here because we're passionate about it. we love what we do through all the challenges that are there because this, this is the work and we love this work. Yes, and, and, you, and you have to love it and you have to love it to be in it. But that's with any job, right? You're going to be able to make more of a difference within your work if you love it, if you're in it if it's something that you're really passionate about. I think that's super important. That's, that's, that's an important nuance in the whole like switching from passion to practitioner, mm -hmm. right? Because if you if you don't love this, like there are days that this, it's just too much, right? So also if you need support, anybody out there in these roles, get yourself a therapist, get yourself a, find your help, whichever way that comes where you can, you know, talk through the, your own emotional kind of weight that you have and also the one that you get from everybody else in these roles. But it is because this this can really, like having been in this sort of role now for, wow, about a decade, over a decade at this point. Wow. It's, it is so important that, you know, not just that you love this, but that you know that this is the work that is your work. Because if not, it will and can be mm -hmm. very hard. Okay. Uh, again. All right. Let's <laughs> just. But Maybe yes. Talk about the positive aspects. But I think these are positive, right? I think I think all of this is is this. Is, I wouldn't call this negative or positive. Personally, I would yeah. say like, this is just the reality of it, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. And I mean, the reason why you know a, a role like running a program like MAPE, a 
appealed to me was because of the impact. And you said it before, right? The impact of this work is so great. It's it 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 makes all those hard hard days so worth it. Exactly. Right? When you can see the slow incremental and sometimes fast changes that happen in people and companies, you know, that that makes it all worth it in the end. It really does. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Okay. So, well, let me ask you since we're switching to uh, a, a different route, what like what are like this sort of role? Like you're you you've been in this role a little bit. What have been some of the most kind of impactful things for you personally about this work? Yeah, so I would say probably my two favorite things about working within like both of my roles have been working really closely with like HBCUs and Hispanic serving institutions like HSIs and being able to go talk to the students um, in those classrooms or at the universities. Um, I have a huge passion with connecting to people that are just starting off in their career. They don't know really what they want to do. Um, so that's mm-hmm. really fun for me. And then also being able to build out um, business resource groups. So within um, at Omnicom Media Group, and then also currently at Real Chemistry, I've helped build out some of their business resource groups and being able to see how those groups like impact um, our employees, even inside of work, but also outside of work. It makes everything worth it, being able to roll out different programs or mentorship opportunities. It really does make make it extremely worth it. Um, so when you are having maybe a difficult day at work, um, just thinking about how you're impacting those around you, it really makes it worth it. Yeah. Can you just give, because you said business resource groups, right? Can you just give a, a definition of a business resource group? Because I know that there are affinity groups, employee resource groups, business resource groups that are sometimes used interchangeably. Mm. So how, 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 how is the business resource group defined in, in your mind? Yeah, so a business resource group, also kind of known as a BRG, are resource groups for employees that really all kind of connect back to the business. So for example, a lot of your programming will be kind of connected back to the business, whereas employee resource groups are really just uh, centered around specifically uh, the employee. And as you'll see, um, a lot of people are switching to a business resource groups because at the end of the day, we do work at, you know, a company and we want everything to really like tie back into the business, but in a very like equitable way. So that's kind of how I would define like a business resource group. Okay. No, that, that definitely helps. Uh, because like I said, I think people interchangeably use it without understanding the impact of saying a business resource group versus an affinity group versus an employee resource group and what that means. So if you if you are wondering, you know, go Google it, figure it out what works best for your company mm-hmm. because business, you might not be ready for a business resource group because as we were talking exactly. before, you don't have the policies and procedures that actually allow these groups to be as impactful mm-hmm. as they can. And you might just right now need an affinity group mm-hmm. or maybe you're an affinity group and you need to move to ERGs, employee resource groups. So it really is... Good. I think, you know, for for all companies and people who are running stuff to understand where you are in that journey and what actually works best, not just what is, you know, the hot, you know, word of the day, the thing of the day to do, because, again, it won't be as impactful if it doesn't fit where you are. So thank you. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, because I think it's, it's good as we, as we talk a lot about just like some of the challenges in these roles, just don't know the impact as well that it can have and why you personally are passionate about it and 
made it and what makes it kind of impactful as a as a practitioner of it as well thanks for thanks for sharing that um okay uh, you know trust me in these roles i know we're all busy so i want to make sure we respect your time and everything so uh you know as we know we do before we usually wrap we do a kind of like 60 seconds of leaving anything you want to say um make sure nothing gets left unsaid um i'm not going to go into that just yet I'm going to give you a chance, right? Because you just said you love speaking and connecting with folks, getting into the business. So one, if you're up for it, if anyone wants to connect with you, where's the best place to do yeah, that? Yeah, I would say feel free to connect with me um, on LinkedIn. My name is Tony Pringley. Um, and then you can also, I guess, follow me on Instagram. I post a lot of thrifting and outfit of the days, which is Tony Justina. So feel free to shout or reach out to me on there. Connect personally, check out some of the side stuff you're doing, little hobbies. Okay. 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 Um, and, you know, one, like, I know you gave a little bit of advice already. Is there one more piece of advice you'd give to folks who are looking for that entry level, thinking about, you know, making that switch from passion to practition um, and trying to get a role in the EDI space? Yeah. I mean, I would even say like really taking it, underneath your own like say to really reach out to those that you admire on like LinkedIn that are doing the work that you want to do and set up just like coffee chats with them or just like kind of get to know what their day-to-day life really looks like um and really trying to get like some mentors um that can really help you like navigate this space because everyone needs a mentor and especially in DE&I um so really I don't know just reaching out to people on LinkedIn is always like a great a great start. I feel like you just offered to mentor at least like 50 people in this space, but that's just me saying that. Um, No, thank you. I think think you're right. The idea of mentors, sponsors, advocates, right? Mm -hmm. You know what? I I don't know if people say this, but like getting your own personal board of directors of like people you can go to for certain different things, right? And understanding the difference between, you know, your friend, your mentor, your sponsor, you know, whatever it might be. Some might be all in one. So you might need others for this is, is very key because you're going to need those people to lean on for support personally and professionally. Like I have this great group of, of folks that helped, really we all helped each other get through the pandemic in this space. We all work in, a, in, in EDI in some uh, way, shape or form with practitioner or, pra- or passion and just had a weekly call where we would just talk about sometimes the challenges and sometimes we would just talk about like what our own thoughts were and it was really really helpful to have that group so like find your group find your community find your mentors find your sponsors find your people okay now we talked about a lot today tony and i'm sure we could talk about a lot more things so now's your chance we give you about 60 seconds to say whatever leave it all on the table make sure nothing is left unsaid what do you want to leave the audience with today yeah i mean i feel like throughout like my whole story i think timing was everything right and being able to wait it out for the right opportunity for you is so critical and i know in a time where we want everything now and we want you know instant gratification but really just waiting it out waiting for the right opportunity and always remembering what's for you is for you i've had a lot of opportunities that I didn't get. And then next thing I know, 
I got a better fitting opportunity for me. So being able to like trust the process and just believing in yourself and being your number one fan, you know, and always advocate for yourself as well. Um, so that's what I would say is just timing is everything and what's for you is for you. I love that. It re- it reminds me of a question I got asked when I was looking for a new role a couple of years ago. And I was sitting down with someone who I consider, you know, a friend and a mentor. And he asked, you know, Carl, are you seeking these jobs or are these jobs coming to you? Mm. And at first I was like, and really, it didn't really land. And then I was like, oh, he's asking, are people like coming to me because they think I'd be good at this job? Or am I really seeking what I want from my next role? And actually, I almost didn't take a job because of that question. Like, he asked me that question. And then I had a conversation uh, with a with a with someone who was literally about to make me an offer. And I almost said no, because that question messed my head up so much. It was like, I did say yes. And it wow. actually helped me get to where I am today, which is great. But I've always thought of that question every time I think about a role or thing I want to do, right? Because is it people telling you, hey, you're good at this, do this? Or is it you saying, this is what I want, I need, what aligns with me? So I love that, what you said. It is so, so important at any level, anywhere, no matter how seasoned or how fresh out of college you are, that question should always be there. Um, So Tony, thank you so much for joining us today and taking the time. Of course. Thank you so much for having me on here. Of course. I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I know that, you know, uh, folks are going to get a lot, you're probably going to get a lot of uh, LinkedIn requests, a lot of new followers, you know, because, you know, again, everyone needs a mentor. Everyone needs a sponsor. It's good out there. Look, Um, I want to thank, you know, our listeners. I want to thank the 4AS Foundation team, I want to thank our whole podcast team for making this happen. Tony, I know that we will see all the, some of the great work that you're doing. Um, and, you know, I know let's get you more involved with all things MAVE. Get you speaking at some conferences. I hope the MAVE team's listening, speaking yes. at the face of talent, something, helping out. I know you're probably a MAVE, um, what was it, a MAVE coach? Mm-hmm. Yep. And if yep. you're not, folks listening, sign up to be a MAPE coach. Yeah, so thank you. And to everyone out there listening, thank you for tuning in today. And until next time. Bye.